Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Satterfield is back, baby. <laughs> the Conference USA Cincinnati basketball player from 1999 2001. Kenny Sat. Oh, wait, wait. Wrong Satterfield. The Bearcats have hired a football coach. Welcome to the program, Frederick Scott Satterfield. It is a great day to have a football coach as a Cincinnati Bearcat football fan. Indeed it is. It is a great day to finally, after after an arduous seven days in the trenches, the Cincinnati Bearcats have hired a head football coach by the name of one Scott Satterfield. Coming from Louisville, Hummer. John Cunningham spent the last seven nights uh, after Luke Fickle's departure looking for a head coach. There is much to get into about that search from who we hired, our reactions to said hire, the process itself, the media coverage of the process. There's so much to talk about. As you like to say, there is a lot of meat on the bone. But I think first things first, let's talk about our initial reactions to Scott Satterfield as the new head football coach at the University of Cincinnati. I will give you the honors for reacting first. Initial reactions. You wake up this morning. It's Monday, December 5th. And you finally have a name. Scott Satterfield is the head football coach. How does Hummer react? Yeah, just like that. Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I say that facetiously. It's it's kind of like a meh, right? I'm not overly excited. I'm not overly upset. And frankly, the name came out of nowhere. Like I don't really know much about him, right? I haven't fought. I don't follow Louisville football. I haven't followed him since since the Big East. I know I hate Louisville football. I hate going to games at at whatever their stadium is called. I don't remember Cardinal Stadium. Um, I did go down down there one year to watch what what should have probably been um, a victory for the Bearcats in in a in a final kind of like Big East victory type of setting. Um, but you know, digging into it, there's there's some you know there's some stuff to be excited about. There's also some stuff that you just you don't know if you could, if you want to be excited about it. You know, for instance. He had success at Appalachian State, right? A lot of it. Won a couple. Uh, was it a couple? Like, three. Yeah, he's won. He won three conference championships at Appalachian State, where he coached from 2013 through 2018. Right. Then he goes to Louisville, and Louisville is an absolute disaster at this point. We're we're talking the still unresolved pay-to-play scheme that was illegal at the time. Um, that that ultimately led to Rick Pitino's firing. It, it led to the departure of of their what was his name Tom. What was their I can't their their athletic director prior to during during that era. He'd been there forever. Um, so basically, I think he's one who sanctioned hiring of hookers for players <laughs> to get into the America uh, the um, Atlantic Coast Conference. Um, but either way, like it, it led to devastation inside that the department. And Louisville, maybe a little bit when you overreacted Tom, when you Tom Urich, J-U-R-I-C-H. Maybe it overreacted a little bit when you look at what ultimately happened at Arizona and Kansas. Kansas has won national championships. Bill Self is still there. Sean Miller was there forever until they basically, you know, he left to for some reason to go to Xavier. Um but, you know, with that, that all happening there, he kind of led him to a resurgence in that second year. And more interestingly for me is looking at the recruiting class that, that he just put together uh, this season, finishing uh, uninspiring seven and five, uh, four and four in, in ACC play. But June of 2021, it becomes legal 
and a temporary policy is put in place to allow for name, image, and likeness payments to be made to players. And seemingly his recruiting class this past year was greater than that of the now excommunicated saint, um, excommunicated from the church of Bearcat. Is the statue still going up? Is there a statue? I don't want to get us off track, but is there, is the statue still underway? No, no, no. We, we, we smelted it. We're, we're turning that into bullets. We're firing them at Wisconsin. Amy uh, Fickle Gardens, B Fox's Amy Fickle Gardens. Are those happening? <laughs> but no, I mean, that's, it's basically what it is. That's all. That's what I have to be. I think what I have to be excited about when I'm looking for upside is that he did put together a terrific recruiting class. And we know that's what he's going to need here is great, great recruiting. But on the flip side, when you see the details of his, of his deal actually, you know, being reported, the salary, it's, it is what you expect, but more importantly, the coaching pool being 7.25 million. That's a large number. That to me signals that, you know, we are going to invest in putting together a staff. It's, we looked at what Fickle complained about staff turn, staff turnovers, right? NIL, losing recruits to NIL. And John Cunningham said, let's fix those. All right. We're going to give you enough money. You can pay some, let's pay your staff. Let's keep them around. Let's get you access to NIL. They retweet with the retweet of, of his statistics. They included a nice little link to where you can donate to Cincy Reigns and even put it above their own interest, which is the UCATs. So I, I think they're taking it all into account. I think he has everything he needs to be successful. If he's not successful, it it's gonna it, it's all on him at this point. There, I don't think there's gonna be any excuses of whether or not. Yeah, if he fails that it was UC's fault, it was the school's fault. It will be on his shoulders. A lot of really good information there. I think it's a great opening segment to what Scott Satterfield is going to bring to the table and is helpful in, in kind of putting us into the mind of John Cunningham, especially when you look at the contract, you look at the salary pool. I think those do inform how UC views this opening. It's the biggest financial investment in the history of UC football from a coaching staff standpoint. This is the biggest investment they've ever made. I also think that shouldn't surprise anyone given our move to the Big 12 and given the financial windfall that's coming our way from this conference upgrade. During this time at Louisville, Scott Satterfield went 25 and 24. He went 15 and 18 in the ACC. No conference championships, but he did turn around and he, and he inherited a program, which admittedly in Louisville was, as you, as you mentioned, in an absolute disarray. And you know, his first season at Louisville was eight and five following a two and 10 season before his arrival. So that's just to sort of set the table of how he performed at Louisville, what his records were. My read on Scott Satterfield being the guy, being Cunningham's guy, is that he prioritized coaching a P5 coach, it was one of his highest priorities. I think Cunningham viewed this. He wanted he wanted to send a message that this is not a job that is left for a lottery ticket or a coach who hasn't had real experience at the P5 level. It seems like he really didn't want to go the coordinator route. He wanted prior head coaching experience. And I think that the some of the candidates we we know to be finalists or we think we know to be finalists would reflect that. We'll get into whether we know and what we don't know later in the podcast. Um, and I think that's an interesting choice, Hummer, because while it is a big financial investment for the University of Cincinnati, it still pales in comparison to a lot of the bigger P5 programs in the country. And so when you think about poaching a P5 coach, your options are going to be pretty limited based on what the salary limitations are. And then you also have to filter that down even more to wanting a P five coach that has been successful and has a track record. And so your options become quite limited at that point late in the process. We heard rumors of chip Kelly. We heard rumors of Jeff Brom. We heard rumors of, um, you know, this wouldn't be P five, but we heard Willie Fritz, your boy, Willie Fritz, Fritz was thrown into, into the conversation by Chad Brendel late in the process. These are the types of candidates we heard coming across the table. And, and we ended up settling on a guy that within Scott Satterfield, who nobody had an inkling that he was going to be the guy. And he doesn't have a track record that 
is going to leave anyone like kind of jumping up and down on tables and shouting from the mountaintops how amazing of a hire this was. It is. It, it feels a bit like a meh hire. He's not the most charismatic coach. He doesn't have a track record that jumps off the page. He was incredibly successful at App State, and that's important to go back to. I I don't think highly of that Louisville athletic department, and it's been it's been chaotic, and it's certainly not something that most coaches w- would want to go into. I think there's a reason Scott Satterfield was hired with you know a, a salary around seven hundred thousand dollars a year. That's a hard job to get a prestigious, or it's a hard job to get a successful coach with a track record to take. That was his first dipping of the toe into the P five world. It went okay. You know, he did, he did okay things and had decent success there. Cunningham mentions the fact that he beat like several five, five or so seven win teams this season. He's got a four and one bowl record. So it's certainly not a failure, but it's, it's a very lukewarm hire from my vantage point. But that's a good thing. That's a good thing Uh, for us as fans, you know, we don't do a good job apparently of picking head coaches or, or when we're excited about a head coach, right. He turns out to be kind of a dud or a sleazebag or Tommy Tuberville, you know, <laughs> like, you know, that, that's just kind of what happens. And, you know, like we were I'm, in, in a way, cause I think we were actually all really excited. Uh, if I remember correctly about the, around Brian Kelly coming when, when we hired Brian Kelly, you know, up, you know, um, Western Michigan or central Michigan coach was successful. You know, we enjoyed it when we brought over Butch Jones. I think there was also a little bit of excitement, but for me, that's where this whole, this whole thing starts where fans are bad at at being excited about coaches because I did not like Butch Jones. When he came in, he had this sleazy just air about him that like the minute he got here, he was picking up the phone. Like, to call recruits. And after he would hang up with the recruit, he would call the university next and say, uh, you know, Hey, Tennessee, uh, like I'm here. Right. Keep an eye. All right. Keep an eye on me. All right. I just talked to this recruit here. I just want to let you know where, where the class is standing when you come and coach me next year. All right. And at the end of the season, like, Hey, Hey guys, are you interested? Oh no, you're not call back next. Okay. I'll call back next year. I'll, I'll put you, I'll put you in my calendar. It's like every year that happened. Uh, Tommy Tuberville, abject failure. We were, I don't know anybody who was actually not excited about Tommy Tuberville. I think we all got, you know, he, he masked his failure with a inherited national championship at Auburn. Um, and then his ambition to become the world's worst Senator. And, you know, with Luke Fickle, no one was excited about it. You know, I think a lot of people were, were upset about it. And in fact, you know, this is a candidate we were going back to is, is ironically who's been hired. Um, and right now that it's kind of meh, I think that gives the fan base, instead of having sky high expectations that you're going to have to come in and immediately replicate what Luke Fickle did, he's going to have some time to recruit, build his staff. Don't be too shitty. Uh, that's 10. <laughs> right. Um, and, and get us and get us back there. Get us competing for championships. Right. That's that's kind of where, where I see this is what like the baseline is just set. All right, let's just continue and then build. An excellent point. When the Bearcats were hiring for an open position in the American Athletic Conference, and and this dates back to the hiring, it's not just the American Athletic Conference, but in, in, in inferior football conferences, you tend to hire coaches that are a bit more speculative. You're betting on the potential. You're betting on a track record at a lower level. And so when you look at Brian Kelly and what he achieved at lower levels, you can sort of, he's, he's still an unknown commodity at this next level. And you can sort of get excited about what the potential might be. And as a fan base, you're very realistic about your standing in the college football world. And so you understand these gambles that you're taking from a college coaching standpoint, and you feel like you're sort of getting in on the ground level of a, of a hot rising indie band. You could say the same thing for Butch Jones. And, and you can say the same thing for Luke Fickle with that hire and being an assistant at Ohio State. I do think some of the challenge that John Cunningham faced with this search in terms of how the fan base would perceive it is the fact that these are the highest expectations we've ever had as a fan base for a college football hire. 
when we did our reaction podcast with Viva La Cats, we mentioned the fact that, hey, folks, we are now a Power Five program and we need to act like one. That's literally a quote. We need to not just limit ourselves to thinking about these rising coaching stars at the assistant level, be it Brian Hartline as a wide receivers coach at Ohio State, or be it Sean Lewis as a fast rising head coach at Kent State, who's, you know, this offensive wizard. But we don't need to give these sort of unknown commodities the keys to to a Porsche that's entering the Big 12 and has seen heights of the college football playoff in the last two years. We can look at other rival schools, regionally or otherwise, for taking one of their head coaches to say, we know and see you're doing good things at, at blank university, in this case, Louisville. But we think that the infrastructure here at Cincinnati is better from a facility standpoint, from a fan base standpoint, from a player standpoint, from an administration standpoint, and with the addition of Cincy Reigns, we think it's going to be better from an NIL standpoint. And we want to give you the keys to this Porsche and help you take it to an even higher level in the Big 12. And I think the juxtaposition of taking gambles in the past and then expecting us to just poach, you know, whoever we wanted, that wasn't quite realistic. But I do think Cunningham actually, he was in this, his he had the same exact mindset of prioritizing proven track record. And that's exactly what he did. I'll say this one quick thing before I pass the mic back to you. Had we hired Scott Satterfield in 2016, coming off of his run at Appalachian state, that's the exact kind of track record we would have loved before he went to Louisville. That was the track record of a coach that would come to Cincinnati and, and try and make a name here. It's not what we ended up doing. And now we have the baggage of what he experienced at Louisville. And that makes him a little less sexy in terms of a hire. But I think that you do see a lot of really good positive signs in terms of his aggressiveness in recruiting. You mentioned the fact that he ranked so highly this season and it, and it coincides perfectly with the addition of NIL. You see he's pulling from California, Georgia, the Carolinas. He's not just a regional coach. And to me, that reeks of I'm going to aggressively go after players and I'm willing and able and I want to use funds that come from NIL. So I think that will be a wrinkle that we weren't really seeing from the Luke Fickle administration. You make a really good point about this is if you go back to 2016, that is who we want. Someone coming up from a lower conference, Sun, Sun Belt, uh, coming from the MAC. That's the type of, of, of coach that we're, we're getting into Cincinnati back then. And an assistant, uh, you know, a coordinator, some, some, some type of position like that where it is different now. We don't have to necessarily go that route, which we didn't. But the key here is Deion Sanders just hired Sean Lewis as an offensive coordinator at Colorado, right? Right now, we're sitting in from, and I can't verify this, but just from some information I heard from what some of the groups that we're in, that at $7.25 million for an assistant coaching pool, that that puts us somewhere near the top 10 in terms of the size of our coaching pool. It's $2 million. Massive. It's $2 million higher than what Deion Sanders has at Colorado. That means that is something that we are actually capable of doing is going in and taking a head coach from the Mac, from the Sun Belt, and saying, hey, come be an offensive coordinator at Cincinnati because we're a P5 program. And guess what? P5 assistants get bigger head coaching jobs faster than Mac coaches flat out, right? Look at, look at Alec Golish going to South Florida, that the American athletic conference, even though it's being gutted is still one of the best group of five, a group of six conferences still out there. And that's where he's going. And then you can move up. I'm, I'm fine with that. And that's where, that's where I think it's important to, to realize that I do think this is that, that good hire because we didn't go that route. We didn't look for who's leading Appalachian state into kicking Michigan's ass this year, right? Let's, and let's go grab them. We didn't have to do that. We, we did actually go in and steal a P five coach. We did like that happened guys. Correct. <laughs> like, Correct. And not only that, we are, we that, are, we are, we are definitively a superior job to the university of Louisville. 
and success or failure on the part of Kenny or Kenny. I told people I would do this. Kenny Satterfield, <laughs> the success or failure of, of Scott. Every, every time you say, I say his name, I say it like this. You hear a pause, you hear one second pause and you hear Scott Satterfield. There's a not pause. Kenny, not Kenny <laughs> Satterfield. Uh, it's because I have Kenny Satterfield's college statistics pulled up. Uh, <laughs> I lost my train. No, here, here's the reality of the situation. You know, abject failure from Scott, uh, Scott Satterfield or raging success. This is now will be one of the most attractive jobs in college football three, four years from now, regardless of success, because the university is throwing resources behind it the way big time programs are. So the next coach who sees this, if it's good or bad, is going to come and say, well, you know what? They are invested in it. They are giving large coaching assistant pools. They are doing NIL. That guy just sucked. I know I can come in here and do it better. So I'm not worried about the future of this program because it is being invested in, in a major, major way. When your new head coach has his introductory press conference and the athletic director explicitly mentions the new NIL collective since he reigns in the press conference, you know that your, your program is looking inward and addressing the known weaknesses. Luke Fickle leaving for Wisconsin did reveal on a national and local level uh, through reporting from Thamel, through commentary, through Justin Williams, that there was a concern about the deficiencies we had in the NIL space. And it's allowed John Cunningham and our administration to look inward and say, we're not afraid of that criticism. We're going to attack it head on and it's not going to be a weakness anymore. And I love the fact that it's a huge talking point and a, and a primary it's it's the primary reason they like Satterfield so much is his willingness to dabble in that world. This means that the administration is going to make sure we're building it up to be stronger and more robust in the future. And you're exactly right. It doesn't matter how Scott Satterfield does over these next several years. I hope he does extremely well. I'm going to support the program and since he reigns and UC athletics enthusiastically regardless of whether he or not he was my candidate one this is this is who i want to see do well but whether or not he does the program's going to continue to trend positively because of the windfalls from the big 12 tv contract and because of the windfalls we're going to see from our donors who are now facing pressure from our administration to say hey we hired a guy who wants to go out and do real roster building he needs resources here's where we need to put those resources since he reigns and from there Either Satterfield's going to have a, a, a stronger war chest in the future or the next guy will. Cincinnati athletics and football in particular continues to move forward and taking positive steps to being a, a long-term player. I'm, this is what I'm hoping out of all of this. Like when you're, you're talking about the big 12 money, you're talking about the, the getting the donors involved NIL, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, not based rooted in any sort of fact whatsoever is that, NIL is forcing universities, especially in P5 land, to separate the business and the donations and to cede control of the donations to outside entities. Because the, matter, the fact of the matter is we're getting 30 something million dollars from the Big 12. They're projecting it could go to 50 million when you factor in bowl money, you factor in uh, NCAA tournament revenues, you know, $50 million. That right there should be enough for an athletic department to fund its expenditures, to finance the building of facilities on its own, and allow the donors to fund the NIL collectives to build rosters. Because at the end of the day, it's not ready to move inside internally into, into the university. It's, the, the system's not there yet. So I think that the it's almost like I'm hearing that admission from Cunningham that 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 is exactly said that, that inner looking and saying okay we're going to we're actually going to promote since he reigns above you cats for the time like, being yeah for the I mean I think that's totally a, a valid observation and a and a a frank reality for Cunningham that we need stronger salary caps at UC I'm calling them a salary cap it's 
we're limited right now in the NIL space. Let's strengthen it. We want to mobilize our fan base to start redirecting their dollars and method of support to an entity in Cincy Reigns that is exclusively for Cincinnati Bearcats sports. It's for football. It's for basketball. It's for other sports as well. You're able to sort of specify exactly where you want your donations to go. We want to grow this war chest. We want to be a stronger player in this space. We want to acknowledge the reality that we want to support name image likeness. And we want to incentivize the most talented football players in the country, the most talented basketball players in the country, the most talented, any athlete in the country. We want them to come to Cincinnati, bring their talent and reward them with real dollars that we've accrued from our very supportive and enthusiastic and desperate to win fan base. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a question here uh, because right now, as it stands, since he's slanging, is on the hook for a whole $19 um, that we're going to accrue. I, th- I think we mentioned this. What we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to keep track of every curse word that we say, put a dollar in the jar, and then we're going to make at the end of the se- recording season, a donation to Cincy Reigns in that amount. Might even, I was thinking we might even take this over to the discord channel and use a bot to track everybody's curse words and text. I love it. And, and send everybody a, a bill payable to Cincy Reigns for your, for your curse words. Uh, but for us, for our sake, for the podcast, you're talking about how we can donate and, and kind of pick and choose which sports we want to support. I have a theory on how, how I want to propose to you, like what we want, what I would like to do. All right. I want to take title nine into consideration here. So for every male sport we donate, we have to donate to a woman's sport in equal amounts. Right. And we yes. know men's basketball and in, in, in men's football, there is no women's football. Right. So men and women's basketball, volleyball, football, baseball, tennis. I love where your head's at. I also want to just, is there an option on Cincy Reigns <laughs> where we can say, this is, this is money that's going towards starting a softball team. Like we we're, we're going into the big 12. We want a softball team. <laughs> this money is specifically so that we can invest in starting up that program in the future. Is there an option? I don't know. I don't know. And that'd be, that'd be fun. But I, I was trying to like think through like a, a way we could do this, have it be fun, make sure we're, you know, so, still supporting everything, but I'm not going to lie. I am selfish. And I do want to see a national championship in men's basketball and a national championship in, in football. Right. So, but at the same time, I don't want to just, I don't want to leave, leave the women out, out to dry uh, for, for what they do to help, help support UC athletics. Of course. And that's why I think that the safest option is to sort of just give to all sports and let the, let the board, which is, which is comprised of Jordan Thompson, arguably the greatest female athlete in the history of Bearcat sports. It's comprised of other um, extremely accomplished and well thought of Bearcat alumni and chaired by friend of the podcast, Brian Fox, just give to that general all programs category and trust the board and, and, and Brian Fox to navigate those waters on your behalf. I trust them. Let them, let them make those decisions. Can I mention one thing here, Hummer, that we actually failed to mention so far. John Cunningham just hired the head coach of Louisville and the Cincinnati Bearcats are going to the Fenway bowl on December 17th. And their opponent is the Louisville Cardinals which is a bowl game that's played in a baseball stadium, Fenway Park. And it because it's not a football field, it's funky and strange and weird and probably undesirable overall. I think I think Scott Satterfield said as much. It's, it's a 11 shit. it's 11 a.m. kickoff. Who decided you want to do 11 a.m. kickoff? I can't you, even drive there. I can't even do a day trip because it's 11 a.m. kickoff. Our head coach, our new head coach, literally said during his press conference that he views that bowl game as a detriment to recruiting. And so you hear him. He is taking a completely hands-off approach for this game. And it is understandable because he spent the entire season coaching that Louisville team. And this is still a relationship business. You've had a relationship with those players. You've coached them throughout the entire season. It would be a bit weird than then go coach the other team against them. So he's, he's going full hands-off, which means he's going into full recruiting mode while the transfer portal opens up in full staff building mode as he has a $7 million war chest. I actually love the timing of that. I love the fact that he's hitting the ground running on next season and beyond. And I think that will make the program in his first year stronger than, than it would have otherwise been had he had coaching responsibilities here in the first few weeks as the new head coach of Cincinnati. 
I mean, you can't argue with that. It's, it's, I don't want to say it's a game that doesn't matter, but it's a game that doesn't matter. It's a right? game that, ma- I mean, to, to the seniors, to the players who are playing their final game. I, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's, but it's, the it, keg, it, it's the keg of nails. It matters. We want to beat Louisville. You, if you bring in, you bring in this new coach to coach that game. He doesn't have the system that they've been practicing all year. It's something new. It's something weird, different that even he doesn't know the play calls. He doesn't oh, no, know no. That. From the perspective you, of Scott Satterfield, the game does fine. not matter. I'm talking about for the, the game itself, though. What happens on the field does matter. I want Kerry Coombs and co to do a good job. I want to see us compete. I want to see us put a good product on the field. I want, I want to see Evan Prater's second start go well. I want the University of Cincinnati to secure the keg of nails because Louisville – Tends to lose the thing. Louisville. I think it's Louisville. Tends to lose the keg of nails. Uh, they lost the first one. They had We had to make a replica. They almost lost that one, apparently. It was found in like an equipment manager's garage or something. Like, absolutely, absolutely a travesty. Uh, they don't care about tradition over there. Uh, you know, unlike Cincinnati, we care about tradition. So let's get, let's bring it home. Now uh, let's put it on display and let's ne- never lose it again. Because frankly, we'll probably never play Louisville again, unless it's a freak. You end up in the Fenway bowl again type situation. Um, Aren't they on the schedule in 2026 or 2027? But by that point, they're going to be, you know, we're going to have renegotiated the deal in the big 12. We're going to be like power three. They're going to be substandard power, <laughs> you know, four and a half, three, five, five and the a half. The program will have folded. Let's just say it. The program the will have program folded. Will have folded. Um, Rick Pitino will be the head basketball coach again. Well, congratulations to them if that happens. That that man will be coaching basketball until he's 196. Let me keep things rolling here. And I feel like we did a nice job there discussing Scott Satterfield, hiring implications, expectations. We really didn't get into expectations, but we'll have time to do that in the coming weeks of year one. I want to talk actually about the search itself. I feel like after you experience a an eight-day, seven-night search, is it eight-day or seven-night or eight-night, seven-day? It doesn't matter. It's a blur, but it's a search I'll never forget based on how, how much of a roller coaster it was in terms of emotional swings based on Al Golden being you know a strong candidate in the search. Oh, wait, it's actually looking like Gino Gadulli could really get this thing. Actually, Mo Linguist is now the leader in the clubhouse. No, you don't understand. Chip Kelly is actually the favorite to get this job, and Cunningham's got a an ace up his sleeves. How do we how do we talk about this coaching search, Hummer? Because it was well, you're forgetting you're forgetting one thing. All right, if you can't beat them, hire them. Is that isn't that what was was said at one point too? Well, that's that's more on the media side. I think I think I want to. We'll get there. We can actually analyze whether this search went as John Cunningham wanted it to go, right? I don't, we don't think we can analyze, analyze. I think we can speculate at this we, point because we right. haven't seen any of the timelines. We haven't seen if, 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 in fact, Satterfield was the original candidate and this was just dragged out through negotiations. We don't know. But here's what, here's what we know. Who all was interviewed. We don't know if there was an offer put out because we had a West Coast guy saying an offer was on the table. And that's why that's what started speculation about Chip Kelly was, you know, a West Coast reporter reporting it. What we do know is that the search started after Luke Fickle left on Sunday. Do we know it started on Sunday? (laughs) Let's well, we also know that Luke Fickle has been the hottest coaching candidate on the market for two years. So and he's this, been looking for two years. That's what we also learned. We don't know. He hasn't been looking for two years. He's been looking ever since he missed out on the Notre Dame job. Luke Fickle has been desperate to leave Cincinnati ever since he left. He ever was since about he, to take Nebraska. That was happening. How that was happening? Nebraska? If, if Nebraska didn't get their number one, Matt Rule, Luke Fickle was going to go to Nebraska. This man was desperate to leave no matter who the Big Ten team was. If it was Purdue, the man would have gone to Purdue. It didn't matter about health of the program, long-term viable success. It it What mattered was I need to leave Cincinnati. I'm rattled. I'm shook that I did not get to take that Notre Dame job. That's that's history, though. We know that because of Tulane, this. Tulane scared Luke Fickles so bad that he left. John Cunningham 
it, it should have been on his radar for, for a couple of years here that, that having a backup plan to Luke Fickle leaving is something that was going to be a part of his job description. This was going to be a task that would come across his desk at some point in time. Over the last seven days, he was it, w- it was completely quiet. Nobody in local reporting or national reporting had an insight into what John Cunningham was thinking and who he actually wanted to get the job. But I will say this, we ended up hiring a guy in Scott Satterfield who's, yes, he coaches a P5 program or coached a P5 program in Louisville. But this is not a team that was that was playing out their season in a championship game. This is not a team that there was not a reason that he couldn't have hired Scott Satterfield four days earlier or five days earlier. I guess you would say he was exhausting his process and exhausting his options. But I guess what I want to start by asking you is, do you think that the fact that this deal came together, apparently Saturday night heading into Sunday, is that a sign that, and I should say pairing that with Sean Lewis and Mo linguist from buff from Kent state and Buffalo respectively being other finalist candidates per Justin Williams reporting, is that a sign that John Cunningham was scrambling late in this process? I, that's, that's the thing. We're, we're it, wildly speculating, by the way, this is, yeah. this is speculation, but I think it's, we could speculate we based were, on the timeline. If we were to have recorded last night, right. Let's, let's say we didn't know yet. It's last night. It is Sunday, December 4th. We're having the conversation of let's read the tea leaves, right? And the tea leaves were saying this. We're being told that Mo Linguist and Sean Lewis are the one and two candidates, but we don't have a deal in place. To me, that is saying they're actually not the top candidates. They're, they're not the top candidates there. And the reason being is because they are in the MAC, we know for a fact you have a deal from Cincinnati, UCF, Houston, Vanderbilt. You're jumping at that job. You're jumping at that opportunity to move from a Mac to even what would be the worst of a P5 job in Vanderbilt, right? It's happening. Cut, cut my salary in half. I'm taking the job. Right. You're, you're taking that jump and you're signing. When the University of Cincinnati t- asks those guys, you know, jump, they are in fact responding how high, right? That is exactly what's happening. When you're not seeing that that being announced and that they're not signing it, con- or there's no contract in place, to me that says they were not looking at them there were other people they were talking to the entire time. Those people interviewed, they were considered, but they weren't, they weren't really at that point, they weren't being considered seriously. There, there were other candidates that were out there and we were looking for something different than going, going the road of the Mac. That's where I'm curious to see, you know, once we get the full picture from, because I think Justin did this with the Miller hire, they did the timeline of how, how it worked, how fast it went deep dive into the process. I'm hoping we get that here. Because I will be interested to see, was there a real big name out there that they were actually targeting? Was there someone, like, how much of this was real? Because there was, nobody seemed to have any idea what was actually going on. I also hope, I hope the information is able to be uncovered because I tend to think that John Cunningham was big game hunting. And yes, he had a few backup options that were sort of break, break glass in case of emergency situations. Like Sean Lewis who by all accounts is a wickedly talented offensive mind is, is a break in case of emergency fallback for John Cunningham. Like that was a clear fallback option for him. I would be curious though, if we could uncover whether who, who were the big game names that he was hunting right early in the process, everyone knows Hummer and I's affinity for Deion Sanders and everything that, that he's oh, got we're going, going to on. talk about Deion Sanders at the end of this again. So if you want to stick around for that, we'll save our <laughs> gushing for Deion Sanders at the end. Okay. Yeah. We're not going to so do it now. Skip it if you, but, we, you can skip it, but he, he would be, he would be the biggest name on, on the coaching higher circuit post Matt rule post Luke fickle. Like he was, he was the guy for the job search at the time that, that Cincinnati was hunting. But outside of that, you know, was it was Chip Kelly a real thing? Was Jeff Brom a thing at all? Who who were some of the big P five names that John Cunningham was going after that maybe didn't work out? Whether it was contract details or them just getting cold feet and thinking that I'm just going to stay where I'm at because I've I've got a Big Ten job or a soon to be Big Ten job. 
I don't think there's, I hope we can get that information because I don't look at it as a reason for us to criticize it not being able to happen. I actually would be happy to see us going after some, some really surprising or big names in the coaching circuit. Um, but I, I do think that I, my instinct, my gut instinct and gut read on the situation is that Satterfield wasn't the first or maybe even second option in the P five ranks. I think that he was the option that worked out. I think he was not necessarily though the first or second that we went to. Um, this is just the one that that made the most sense given where he's at contract details and the opportunity that Cincinnati presents. Yeah. I mean, you have to strike a balance with these things, right? At least Cincinnati does. We're let's, let's, let's look, take a, we, we've said how, uh, you know, John Cunningham had to take a look in the mirror. Let's take a look in the mirror as fans here. Okay. We have a lot of people who said Wisconsin was, was a lateral move for Luke Fickle. You're out of your damn mind, right? You're out of your damn mind. If you think that was a lateral move. Uh, okay. I can't repeat that because I've only repeated it because I was, I was counting. Um, <laughs> but you're, you're out of your mind. If you don't, if you think that's a lateral move, we have to check a balance between affordability, who we can get buyouts. Everything has to kind of line up, especially when you find out that we're investing over $10 million a year in coaches at, you know, potentially for the university of Cincinnati's football program, a massive number. That's a fifth potentially of the amount of money that we're going to get next year being in the big, being in the big 12. Right. So that's 20% of our budget to coaches. And when you're doing that, like, can you go out and get someone who has a buyout of, I'm going to be, a, I'm going to go over the top here and say Jimbo Fisher, his buyout's what, $80 billion? Like, AM is stuck with him for better or for worse. They cannot get rid of him. No one's going to be able to pay that buyout. It's not going to happen. But at the same time, Cincinnati is also playing that game of who can we buy out? Right. Who, who can we afford if we need to spend? 3 million, a million, whatever the buyout number may be. So we can't go and get, we're also in limited too on who we can even approach in the P5 ranks because we can't go and afford to pay someone's $10 million buyout. We can't do it. So we're striking that balance between also, what are we going to pay that first time head coach? It seems to me, maybe, I don't know this for a fact, but it seems if you're looking at this deal that maybe there was a concession on, on the coaching pay to increase the the amount of coaching pool assets maybe that that's kind of the read i get from the situation and how many is, is chip kelly going to come in and do that is chip kelly going to say you know what I'm, I'm chip kelly and i'm i'm willing to take a hit for the team and and get a bigger coaching pool when he's coaching at a program that's about to get 70 million dollars a year in in big 10 money i don't think so i don't think that's happening i also don't think that's happening with purdue I, th- I also think Louisville is not going to get this trade that they're all open for, that the savior is going to come home because he's being successful at Purdue. He just played in a Big Ten championship game. I, and, and, the you- big, and the Big Ten is going to the moon. Where's the ACC going? It can't renegotiate its deal till after the Big 12 renegotiates again. <laughs> like... It's, I think it's 2036. It's something ridiculous. Well, and, and for as panicked as Bearcat fans were about us experiencing this coaching search a week before the transfer portal opened, Louisville's now experiencing this coaching search as the transfer portal opens. This is even, I mean, if you're if you're a Cardinal fan, it's even more, more panicky given the situation. But yeah, I think you, I, I think we're kind of, I think we're on the money. I think we're in the, we're heading in the right direction in terms of how Cunningham's search went, how it played out. I do think it's difficult to discuss it actually without talking about the media coverage and John Cunningham's seemingly insistence, seeming insistence on giving nothing up to media. He wants nobody to have an inkling of what he and his team are doing and who they're going after and in some respect, I mean, I, re- I respect his not only decision to do that, I respect the execution of it because a lot of people say they don't want leaks and they don't want information out there. This guy actually executes that. We're, we're going to lose John John Cunningham to Apple. <laughs> it's true. Right? He's going to be the one in charge of keeping all the secrets for the new iPhone technology. It's, it's impressive <laughs> how close he keeps his circle. He does not let that information expand beyond two to four people. And, and those people are loyal and they, they do not budge 
on giving up any information to, to local sources or national sources, it seems. And because of that, the way that our local media insiders have to get their information is not through the source itself. They're not going through UC or the administration. And again, this is all speculation because I don't know who these people's sources are, but instead they have to track it down through talking to the external parties who may or may not be considered for the job. And anytime you're dealing in that world, you have to balance that with, well, what's their what's their potential benefit of leaking this information to me? Why do they want me to know that they're a candidate? And why do they want me to go some level of public with them being a candidate? Is it benefiting them from a negotiation tactic? Is it real? You know, there's there's a variety of things that come into play when that happens. But instead, what you get is information that has zero context whatsoever. You have no idea what the extent of their candidacy actually is. And it sends Bearcat fans like us and, and everyone following along on Twitter or Discord or wherever, it sends us into a tizzy because you go from these highs of, oh, well, you know, uh, it's going to be, it's definitely going to be a P5 coach to, you know, the night before the hire thinking that Mo Linguist is your guy who's got a losing record in the Mac and hasn't accomplished anything. Like it just, it's a whirlwind of emotions. And I just kind of want to open it up to talking about that aspect of, of journalism and, and, and what it actually means. Cause it doesn't, I, I think that Justin Williams is going through the necessary, you know, steps to verify and validate information. And I, I had a, a great deal of confidence that his reporting was as accurate as it could be. But at the end of the day, it was not, it, it nobody had a shrapnel of an idea that, Scott Satterfield was a candidate in this job opening. Well, I, I think you're right there because at the end of the day, who, there's some candidates who probably benefit from having more information out into public domain than others. For instance, Alex Golish, he was a relatively hot commodity in this particular coaching cycle. He had USF, you know, going after him. He had apparently he had us going after him. So, but for him to release the information that is both Cincinnati and USF, it's prompting someone to write up a contract, get the deal on the table. Let's get something signed. Let's get it done. Right. Alex Golish, Alex Golish and his people may have played this perfectly. Right. right. He he became a, you heard that night, the, I think it was the night before he became the USF coach. He was the guy who, who, you know, certain guys like Tim Adams, I think, put it out there that, and it was alluded yeah. to that Bearcat Report might be putting it out there that that Alex Golish is the guy. It's just a matter of of getting the contract deal secured. This is going to be the next Bearcats head coach. And then all of a sudden it fizzles out, and he's the coach at USF. What does that tell me? Just the layman over here, the fan watching from afar. Well, Alex Golish and his agent may have been using this position opening that he was actually interviewing for as the impetus Leverage. for USF locking in that deal. That's what that tells me. I think the same thing also extends to guys like Mo Linquist, Sean Lewis. You want to get your name out there. You want to show that there's interest in you. Get your name out into the so other schools who are looking look at you. Do you Kenny think? It, do you think Kenny, it hurt? I did it again. I did it again. Did do it I hurt? Do a dollar every time I say Kenny. It's, you're, yeah, you're on the verge of doing that. Scott. But did, did it hurt? Did it hurt Sean Lewis? He just became the offensive coordinator at Colorado, which is going to be an extremely high visibility position. Do you think it hurt him to be a main candidate in UC search? Not at all. Not at all. And I think, and that's, that's the whole point where when you look at Scott Satterfield's situation, right, he apparently is already trying to get an extension. I don't know. This is all, once again, this is all the rumor mill. So this is probably what was thrown out there, but he's trying to get an extension from Louisville. He's not getting it what he wants. So he's kind of, you know, I'm going to leave for him. Does it, it may not make as much sense because he still is actually employed in a P5 program. If he doesn't get Cincinnati, he simply just keeps doing what he does at Louisville and sees, sees what happens. Right. I don't know. I just, I just don't think maybe there's in, if you don't know that he's already kind of like, if he's not on your list of people to follow, how do you know to maybe reach out to his agent or reach out to someone in his inner circle? You know, reach out to who might be a source close to the coach who knows what's actually going on, that kind of, that kind of stuff. So I, I think that's where I have a hard time. Like for us, yeah, it, it sucked as a Bearcat fan to go through this. It really did. It sucked. Uh, no, I completely agree. I think that's why I'm bringing it up because you have these trusted people in the, in the local community that, 
tend to have pretty solid information on what's happening in the Bearcat world. And it was just absolutely all over the place. And, and again, I know everyone's doing their best job to validate information, but I think it was sort of a, a reminder. It's a reminder of a couple of things. First, journalism has changed and Twitter is responsible for that largely. It's all about scoops and being first and trying to have information. And then when you factor in like subscription models and whatnot, like you want people coming to your site to look at your information because you want, and you want people thinking that your information is the best and you're getting some sort of special insight here, but it's just not always the case. And the rumors and the speculation and having to go through these, this kind of weird search can send your fan base into this like weird catatonic state and this frenzied state. And that's where I would actually come back to Cunningham. I think there are athletic directors who probably think it's best that I do share some tidbits just to keep everyone calming at, at a reasonable level. I think we hit a decibel in the search that, that flirted with toxicity and I'm not blaming any one aspect, but I think Cunningham's lack of information plays a role. I think the way that reporting happens around coaching searches plays a role. I think fans, including ourselves, our desperate need to have information and right away and feel like we know something plays a role. I think preemptive reactions to pure speculation plays a role. It's, it's all just, it's, it's a maddening process. And it was an insane seven days following this thing. Yeah. And well, I guess my only count, my only counter would be, you, you, USC looking for a new head coach, right? Lincoln Riley came out of absolute nowhere, right? That he's, he's being poached from Oklahoma. When you're, maybe when you're doing a poaching job and the candidate isn't actually in the hot seat, maybe it is to your advantage to keep it quiet, right? So that way the other university isn't getting wind right away, that they can come by and try to undercut your deal, see what you're doing. Maybe, maybe that's why, but I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt here. But then when you look at the way it happened with basketball, Wes Miller was a hot name, like a, a sexy name to the, the talking heads, but he wasn't a sexy name in terms of every university right now is going after Sean Miller and trying to hire the guy. That's true. He was a highly respected young coach and nobody assumed that he would be linked to the Bearcats job and he really wasn't linked to the Bearcats job until the very end. And, and so Cunningham, he has an MO at this point. We know how he operates. It's silent. Real G's operate in silence like lasagna. But goddamn, you drove us crazy this time. And I'm, I'm giving myself a ding for that. Take me up to 10 as well. This one was, this one was, was sheer insanity, Hummer, following this coaching search. Here, here's how I want to leave it. I'm, I'm glad it's over. I'm glad it's over. Um, I'm glad we can we can get the focusing on what comes next, and that's where I'm. If I'm going to say I'm most excited about anything, we've talked about this. How college sports, I think, as we know it, as we have known it for the past six years, two decades, is over. It is done. The era of recruiting a kid to Cincinnati. For the most part, I'm not saying 100%, but for the most part, recruiting a kid, developing them, and having them stay at your university for four or five years is over. Because what's going to happen is they're going to come here, they're going to get their development for one or two years. If they don't see the field, they're going to hit the transfer portal to go get that name, image, likeness money from the next from from a program that has a need for their developed talent. So you're going to see a lot more. Look, we got 700 kids in a portal. I think they said hit today. There's going to be probably 1,500, 2,000, just like in basketball. I think there was like 2,000 entries into the portal or something crazy. It's going to happen. And so every year, NIL is going to become more and more important to recruiting. And your rosters are going to have maybe a core group of people that are staying because you are able to fund their NIL appropriately on the, on the front end because you've identified the talent in your own ranks. But then you're going to have to go outside and plug in holes for the gaps that you're having. For instance, I'm going to give you a really good example, and people are going to skewer me for this. Evan Prater may not be the answer at quarterback. We don't know. For all indications right now is he's okay. Could we get better? 
could we go outside into the portal and get a better quarterback to immediately fix the need? If we were to say the biggest deficiency on this team this year, right now, all talent not having hit the portal, it was quarterback. If you're saying we're going to go out and, and fix that need and we're going to go to the portal to do it and we're going to go and take some of our NIL slush fund and we'll pay some kid an NIL deal for 500 grand to come play here. He's already been developed two years at another school. Boom. It's done. It happened. It's over. That will be the reality of college sports. It's free agency. It's here. You're describing it as a hypothetical with Evan Prater. Here's, here's a real life situation that just happened to an old buddy of ours. Drew Pine starting quarterback of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, a team that was quite successful this year, right? They had a couple of bad yeah. losses, but but all, all things considered, Marcus Freeman's first year, it was a good season. He's the starting quarterback of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. He hit the transfer portal before their bowl game. And why? Because he was honestly spoken to by his coaching staff, Marcus Freeman, and they said, Drew, we're going to go into the portal for a start for a quarterback this year. And you're going to have the opportunity to compete for the starting job next season. That doesn't sound all that different from what our friend Deion Sanders did to a, a larger group of student athletes at Colorado. When he took the job, this is, this is business now, Hummer, the whole game is changing. And I know that people love college football. And I think I was relatively a late arriver to college football. My first and true love in college sports is college basketball. Having been, you know, at going to college, starting to follow the football team, this is a very unique American sport with a very unique American culture that is incredibly special and ha is historically great. And as you learn more about the Southeastern Conference and these traditions around tailgating and, and just how rabid the fan bases are, it's, it is changing and shifting right bef before our eyes. And it's happening because of the money influx. I know there's people who will deny the fact that just injecting money transparently will quote unquote ruin it. There's people who are skeptical of that. I'm not going to use the word ruin, but I am going to say it's going to blatantly change how business is done in college sports. I don't think what Deion Sanders said to the student athletes at Colorado, which I should probably put the audio clip in it, but just to summarize, he basically walked in there and said, I'm the new coach of Colorado. I'm bringing my own back, my own luggage. It's Louie. That luggage is high star, high ranked players, talented players. I'm bringing them with me. Y'all are going to do what you're going to do. If it means entering the portal, you're going to enter the portal because we're not going to be in a one, one and 11 team anymore. This is going to be a winning program here. And that's what I'm about. It's a cutthroat business at this point, Hummer. Look, and that's exactly what it is. This is getting to the level of professional sports. The difference here is, we're not to the point where we have contracts. I imagine at some point these NIL deals will start containing year provisions in them. Where like, we're going to assign you to a two-year NIL deal that you have to play here. If you leave, you lose it. Or you have to owe us a portion back or something. But to that point, Cincinnati is rumored to be in the running for either University of Virginia quarterback Brennan Armstrong or Georgia Tech quarterback Jeff Sims. It's already starting. Our guy's going to bring in his own players as well. He's going to bring in his own recruits. He does not have an emotional attachment nor probably a relationship established with Evan Prater. And that's a shame. We don't know though. It's all speculation. Like there's, there's no inside information here. It's just like, this is the reality of college sports right now. And I'm glad UC is deciding to play the game because if we've learned anything about this process, it's that in the past, this university was squeaky clean. We were. We didn't have the NIL infrastructure. We weren't paying players. We weren't any sort of. <laughs> we weren't bag dropping, right? <laughs> but it wasn't happening, guys. Like we came, it, we came up out the mud. All right, we came up out the mud. We were not paying players. Yeah, and you know what? I'm I'm glad at the time we played within the rules, right? To a certain extent, there's other programs who didn't play by the rules. Kansas, and they have a national championship to show for it, uh, and it's not going to get taken away. Uh, but, look, it's a different world. We're playing in it. Guys, welcome to the show. Hummer, as we get back into recording podcasts more regularly, 
I want to do a better job of getting creative with little recurring bits that we could put into the podcast at the end, in the middle. Yeah, call them segments of sorts. And we both have a podcast that we listen to regularly. You've introduced it to me, and I think it was handed down to you by a friend of ours. Pivot. Great podcast, business podcast, tech, lots of interesting conversations. And sometimes they sign off their podcast by making predictions. I want to give us the opportunity to make predictions today, be it short-term this week. I know we have the Crosstown Shootout coming up. We'll do a basketball podcast later this week. Or we can make bigger predictions, long-term predictions. The floor is yours, my friend, to make a prediction this week. All right. So I'm not going to touch the Crosstown Shootout. That is a trap every year. So I'm not touching it. I am going with a bold prediction. It has nothing to do with Cincinnati. I guess maybe it does. Indirectly, it does have something to do with Cincinnati. Here, here's my prediction. Deion Sanders will have played in, coached in, and won a national championship at Colorado within three years. <laughs> that is a that is my bold prediction. And my and my caveat to how that how that uh, a, a applies to Cincinnati is throughout this entire process. For f- in fairness or not fair, Scott Satterfield will be held to the standards of whatever Deion Sanders accomplishes. It's true. <laughs> because why? Why? Like he was the premier candidate in this in this coaching cir- in this coaching circus or cycle, whatever you want to call it. When we, I think we were actually very fair and objective and objective is probably the wrong word, but we're, we're trying to take a level-headed approach to evaluating the Scott Satterfield hire, to evaluating the process, to evaluating the coverage, all of that. We were obviously raw, raw, let's get Dion guys from the start of this search. I do think it's important. And I just want it on the record. If it's not already clear, if the Bearcats did not pursue Dion Sanders, during this coaching cycle and for this opening, we made a grave mistake. This was a home run hire by Colorado. And I do believe that Cincinnati has the infrastructure, the talent, and the opportunities to head into the Big 12. We could have put together a better case for why he should have taken his talents to Cincinnati. And I know that's not going to be the slam dunk for everyone that we think it is, but I think the recruiting, the buzz, the ability to identify coaching talent. I think Sean Lewis is an easy, quick identifier that this man is extremely serious, not just about recruiting talent and not, I know he's about his brand. There is a lot of ego that comes with Deion Sanders. You are embracing a lot of Deion Sanders and the AD who hires him has to embrace the fact that they are going to be pushed to the side somewhat by the the all-encompassing experience that is Deion Sanders and Coach Prime. But when you look at the talent he's bringing in and the talent that's interested in coming there, when you look at how serious he is about the current roster construct, and when you look at the types of coaches he's already hiring, this man is extremely serious about winning and winning fast. And it was a real opportunity for Cincinnati to get into the legitimate national title conversation. Uh, I... I couldn't, I honestly, I can't agree with you more. That's why it's the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going with like this, I'm going to kind of hold Scott Satterfield to the Deion Sanders esque level is because of all the years that a crazy coach like that was available. Cincinnati could have had him, Like we were an equal program, if not more attractive than Colorado for Deion Sanders to come in. And there's some other things that I think that, that factor into that, knowing that he's been in Cincinnati before he loved it from all accounts. He loved his time here. The city's gotten even better. Like there's just so many things that I, like, we could have, I think we could, if we wanted him, we could have had him. I think the issue is the university didn't want him. No, it is what it is, but in my Can mind, we- I'm going to track it. I'm going to track it in my mind. I'm, I'm not going. I'm not going national championship like you are. I'm not. I'm not nearly that bold. I do think he's going to prove out to be an extremely successful coach, though, um, at Colorado. And then there'll be another stop after that. That's going to be an even higher level, where he has unlimited resources. But I do think there needs to be consequences for us if we're horribly wrong on this. 
right? We're putting, our, let's put our money where our mouth is, right? We're saying, hey, we're all in on Dion. We were right. Cunningham's wrong. Pinto's wrong. We should have bent over backwards to get this guy at Cincinnati and you should have had less ego. Well, if what's, what's the definition of going horribly wrong at Colorado? What, what's our punishment? Because I think historically what we do and what we do well are our beer miles. We can either do a beer mile together or we could do a chili mile together where you chug four cans of Skyline. First off, I'm never doing a chili mile ever. Uh, whoever, I forget who came up with that idea in the Discord. You are foul. Uh, that's a foul thing to suggest chugging four cans of Skyline. Um, you would never finish. Uh, I would no one could finish that. They would vomit so hard. Um, <laughs> I don't even want to think about it. Here's the punishment. Here, what, here's... What's, the defi- what's the definition for being wrong? Like, is it simply he for he doesn't make a national championship or he's he's no. fired after I three think years? I'd say he's fired within three years. Or there's gonna be no be... middle ground, right? Is that what that we're saying? Be... There's gonna be no middle ground. This is either gonna be a raging success or a fire tr- a dumpster fire of. I don't, I don't even see being fi- like, I don't see him failing in the realm of possibilities, but yeah, I don't that's actually my, see it's, it either. it's a blind spot, right? Cause he could, let's say he theoretically gets fired for something on field or off. That's definitely a consequence for us or and that, actually could, that might, that could, that could, that, that might be the more realistic outcome. Like something insane just happens around the program and they can't afford to stay with him anymore. So he gets fired within three years. Let's say two. I want to, I want to shorten it somehow or he doesn't have a winning season. What about year one? Is he going to have a winning season in year one? Yes. Okay. If you're saying national championship within, you're saying national championship within three years, I'd say let's do this. Putting our money where our mouth is, is if Deion Sanders doesn't have a winning record at Colorado in year one, we're running a beer mile together. Deal. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. I hope not.